Welcome back to the Industry Misfit Podcast. As always, I appreciate everybody for liking, sharing, subscribing, everybody that's building with us, everybody that's been down since day one, and everybody that's going to tune in this time. We got a real special guest, a legend in my eyes, Mr. Abdul Malik Abbott. Is that the way you say it? That is correct. All right, cool. How's life for you, man? Life is good. Thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. I appreciate it, and I appreciate the audience that's listening. Hopefully, you can drop some gems, some knowledge, some maybe a couple of humorous antidotes or something. Yeah. Can we curse on this? Yeah, we can curse. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, just, just free. Just free yeah. reign, man. Free range, man. I, I, sure. I actually adapt to, to each guest. Like, oh, okay. However, right. Whatever you feel, man. It's it's not PG here. We like we like for people to come and feel free and gotcha, be themselves. Gotcha. How's everything with, um with you know, political climate and... and the, the way the country is headed affecting you. I like to always ask people that. Um, I'm trying to stay away from the news for this weekend. I mean, I, I wake up every weekend watching AM Joy, and she goes hard in the paint. So, you know. What channel is she on? Uh, she's on CNBC. Okay. Um, no, MSNBC. Okay. Yeah. So AM Joy, she 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 comes on the weekend with all, all the bad news, I call it. But the political climate climate is crazy for me. I, I'm definitely uh, paying attention to see what's going on and and watching in plain sight our our democracy fall apart. Yeah. Literally in plain sight. Yeah. So I'm I'm sitting back and I'm just like, okay, this is all pretty fucked up. I wonder how we're gonna come out of this. And that's the biggest scare. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, Trump's an asshole. Trump's an idiot. Trump's a moron. I've been hating Trump all my life. I'm from New York. You know, there was this huge painting uh, of dump Trump on the West Side Highway, like back in the, I think that was the 80s or 90s, because he was coming and mess up all the nice neighborhoods and put these glass monstrosities up that nobody could afford, no one like me anyway. Okay. And you know, it's not me being jealous. It's just that he's ripping apart neighborhoods. And he's always been an asshole. He's always been, I, I, all these years, I'm like, that, that dude's an asshole. But I didn't have to really care about him. Because he was leadership. He was nobody. Yeah. I was just like, wow, what an idiot. And then when he did The Apprentice, I'm like, man, what an idiot. Right. <laughs> so it was always the same thing. And I was around for the Central Park Five. I was a teenager. And that whole situation was, you know, had everyone like, you know, it also that word "wilding" was was used. Right. If you remember what word mm-hmm. "wilding" was being used, mm-hmm. and uh, just just him being putting out that ad, it was just a bad time. He was just a bad guy, and he's still a terrible. So human. you knew before, you know, he he started running for the president presidency. What kind of guy he was? Because because in hip hop. You know, Trump used to get championed a lot because of his financial status and his, you know, real estate and things yeah, like that. People it was only to... because he hip hop has to do with flashy right. and wealth or the, the illusion of wealth. And since he was flashy and gaudy, they just mm-hmm. knew his name. But I don't think anybody liked him. Right. You know what I mean? They just probably hadn't met him to even know. Right. He yeah. just, it was just throwing, you know, he was just gaudy and, and right. flashy. So he got his, I mean, I. I hate that he feels a little co-signed by hip hop somehow, some way. Yeah, you know, at a certain point in time, yeah. for sure. But you know, I could spend the whole thing just bad mouthing that dude. Mm-hmm. So I don't even say his name. To be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I try to stay away from Except it. As I'll much say Dunk Trump. That's too. about it. Right. So so how did you get your um your starting film? If if everybody doesn't know, he's a 
a film everything. He's a renaissance man in film, not just a director. A filmmaker. That's film, a just a filmmaker? I say that. Yeah, that's how you would describe yourself as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, I started out looking up to my father who, who taught film and, and photography at Studio Museum of Harlem. One of his most famous students is uh, Julie Dash, who went on and did Daughters of the Dust, and she's directing stuff right now. I think she's directing Queen Sugar. Nice, um, so he nice. was one of she was one of his students. Um, I didn't I didn't even meet her until I was grown up, but you know it was nice to like you know see a father figure doing something that wasn't the norm uh, growing up in Harlem. And then when Star Wars came out and Indiana Jones and all those movies came out, I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that person who's making these movies. And I started out doing animation, but it took so long to sit and draw every single uh, frame. Mm -hmm. You know, I would spend a couple of weeks drawing, and it would go by in like two seconds. Right. So I was like, I gotta find a better way to to, to uh, be creative. So I started shooting on my Super 8 camera, uh, put it on the bicycle, and then drive behind some ride behind my cousins, and and then later on I'd add little lasers by scratching on the film. So mm -hmm. you know, I was just trying to be creative, not thinking that it was gonna be a career at one point, until I got really serious. And uh, when I went to music and art high school, I was a painter uh, and uh, illustrator and pen and ink and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to do film. So by the time I got out of high school, I applied for uh, School of Visual Arts, which is a film school okay. for four years. So I was in it. Yeah. That was the beginning. So you, so you pretty much technically trained on top of growing up, watching your father do it. So was your father, your father was a film instructor. Mm -hmm. He's a filmmaker too. He's he did filmmaker. documentaries. Okay. Uh, he did one on Moses Powell, uh, the uh, martial artist. Um, but I didn't really see a lot of his work, to be honest with you, because I was a kid. I didn't want to see documentaries. You right. Know? <laughs> right. And I think he stopped doing it at some point. So, but like I said, it was more of the pictures. It was the idea of seeing him doing it, and that a black man is doing it, and and also him being a photographer. I, I was always good at taking pictures. So I. You know, you kind of just want to follow in your in your father's footsteps some way somehow. So I he started the journey, but you know I, I took it upon myself to actually go on that journey because mm. he was he had stopped doing it after a while. Nice. So so your first film um, was ninety nine percent. Was that the name oh, of your first film? You went way back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the first film I did actually that was my thesis film. So that okay. wasn't really my first film, but I, I would say it's my first okay. complete. Film that I'm almost not too embarrassed to show, but mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it was my thesis film, School of Visual Arts, and it, it, it sort of set the stage of what I like to shoot. So it had all the elements, it had drama, it had you know betrayal because it was a relationship in it. It had hip hop, and it I actually was in the, in in it. I played a little cameo. I had this character called MC Abby Ab. And my cousin was DJ Ali D. Mm -hmm. Later on, it got flipped around when people started calling me DJ Abby Ab mm -hmm. uh, because I did a lot of mixtapes. But uh, yeah, that was my first film, and it it, it, it was all right. So <laughs> I was, graduated. It, was, it had hip hop. Yeah, hip hop influence. What was what was the storyline? Was it like um, a Beat Street or no? No, it wasn't even close to that. It was basically about a girl who who uh, wants to model, and then she gets hooked up with this kind of playboy and her friends 
want her to follow along with them so they can go on this shoot in Jamaica and she pretty much gets it's gullible and gets taken advantage of. Uh, while the other girls go, she doesn't go. So it was, it was more of a slice of life type of movie. Right. But, you know, the hip hop element was just the characters. We were playing like a run DMC right. uh, type of group. So you kind of, you got a, I seen you had a kind of like the painter and uh, the art and illustration kind of background too, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. What kind of took you away? Was it just that it just took too long, you say? It took too long to to paint but also film is different so once i decided to do that while i was in college i still had to take some classes that had had to do with drawing anyway so i was doing a lot of pen and ink work um but it was just being alone a lot it's it's when you draw you're by yourself all the time right (laughs) you know which is funny and now i'm i'm an editor i know i'm fast forwarding but i'm an editor and then now you're spending hours by yourself so it was more to be part of the community and also do have stuff that's a little more immediate where you if you draw something you know you got it takes forever but if you're shooting something uh you know once you've developed the film you can see it right away and right it's, and it's it's longer right so it was it was a process and it's something i had to decide well you're gonna do this you're gonna do that so i decided to do the film did you did you decide purposely to kind of um, work in different areas of film and kind of like make yourself kind of like a, a well-rounded filmmaker in terms? Was that a strategy or did it just happen like that? Uh, I was both because it was film school, so they want to teach you everything. Right. So some some of the things that I hated, which was screenwriting, I hated editing, I hated doing sound. I really just like directing and camera right so when i graduated the first thing i was doing was sound (laughs) and editing i wasn't really doing the writing but it was those were the things that i didn't like those are the things that i actually started to work on Mm -hmm. um but yeah so they would teach you everything they taught you film theory film history a lot of stuff that i kind of didn't care about but you had to learn it um I wish they would have taught the business of film. That's the part they didn't teach. Okay. Um, and how to how to sustain yourself in the film business. Perhaps they've got that class nowadays. Right. But back then they didn't. Right. So you get out of school and you're like, well, what do I do now? Right. You're starting from the bottom. So yeah, like you said, you started out kind of like editing and doing the sound engineering, and you got your big break. Um, on Death by Temptation, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I had met this other black sound guy named Charles Hunt, and uh, he was just starting out. I was just starting out. We connected on. We connected by accident, actually. I was working on a short film, and, and uh, you know, back in the day, and maybe still to this day, it was not a lot of black people in the film uh, world, or at least in New York. So when I showed up, I was supposed to do camera. And he was supposed to be doing sound. I showed up and they thought I was him. I was like, no, no, I'm doing camera. And then he showed up and I was like, I never met a black sound guy. So we connected and he asked me to work on on Death by Temptation. And then that's kind of started the ball rolling because that's where I met Ernest Dickerson, who was Spike Lee's cinematographer. He was shooting that movie. And a lot of key people who worked with 40 Acres were working on that movie. And then the next movie that was going to be shot in New York was Do the Right Thing. Wow. So we shot that movie, and that was kind of like a cheesy black exploitation-ish 
mm-hmm. uh, vampire movie mm-hmm. with Dean Hardison and, and uh, Death by Temptation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I have to see that man because I seen it had Kadeem Hardison in it. It had Samuel L. It had yeah. Bill Nunn, yes. which is Radio Raheem for yeah. everybody. I forgot Bill Nunn was that. Mm-hmm. that but um, I definitely remember Sam Jackson because he was actually cool. He was barely in it, but he was in it. Yeah, yeah. kind of getting started. Yeah, he was just getting started. Right. Mm-hmm. And Mo Better, Mo Better Blues. You yeah, did. Mo Better Blues was, on was fun. Uh, you know, Do the Right Thing was fun. Mo Better Blues was interesting. I had uh, to work with, you know, Denzel and, and, and uh, Giancarlo Esposito. And, you know, I was the guy playing the songs because they all couldn't play mm-hmm. except for the drummer. The drummer could play. Uh, Bill Nunn didn't really play bass. Uh, so I got to work with Wesley. I became friends with Wesley Snipes. And anytime you saw them playing, I was the one that was playing the music. So I, you know, I got to be really friendly with So them. you can play um, like sax and trump and all of that? No, too? no, no. I played the music back. It was okay. already recorded. Okay. So I was doing playback. Oh, okay. Just to be clear. Nice. <laughs> I was in charge of playing back all the music that was in Mo Better Blues. As well as being like the second boom operator when they needed somebody, and that led to more uh, led to videos, ironically for you. You got your break with Job, the Job Records. Yeah, well, the story. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown. So the story with the music video world. I was, you know, I'm an MTV kid. I, I call myself MTV Generation because it was during the heart of it <laughs> when yeah, it was really on popping. tv raps and all of that yeah so even before that but mm-hmm. um you know there was video music box in new york shout out to ralph mcdaniels and the vid kid video music box would play all the black hip-hop mm. uh music videos when before, MTV before mtv would right. play anything right. so that was the station to watch but um back to the business side of it right after mo better blues I started to do playback. So playback, just so people know what that position is, playback is the sound technician on a music video. And you're usually just taking the song that comes from the record label and you put it on a dat tape or a nagra, which is reel to reel, with time code and the slate so you can sync it up later. And then you play this, the song back in whatever position or part of the song that the director wants or the artist wants, and you're in charge of all the music, setting up the speakers, that's your job. That's all you're supposed to do. It's a very important job. These days, you know, with the digital age, you don't really need that position anymore because mm-hmm. the cameras have a, a digital and they have a mic on it, so it's somewhat already sunk up. But back then, it was film. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that a lot where there was a lot of Black artists in New York that were just getting their shot to do music videos, but most of the crew was white and most of the directors were white, but the artist was Black. And it was like, well, we got one black person, and that would be me. Right. Or maybe the style, me and the stylist or something. Right. Uh, or a couple of PAs, but you know, I was the go-to guy to because I was pretty much I'll stay on top of my job. But you know, they wanted to at least make the artist a little comfortable. So I I just work on everybody's video. Like, right. Almost I would say about fifty percent of the videos in New York I probably worked on on them. So I was doing that for a while, but in the meantime I wanted to edit because I liked music videos. And I started editing, the first video I did was for Kwame. I don't know if you remember Kwame. I remember Polka Dots. Yeah, so that was the very first video I edited. And then I think the next one I did was Salt and Pepper. And then the next one, and then the next one. So I started building up this editing resume of different hip hop videos up to the point where I had like a good little resume for just music video editing. And I'm on the set 
doing playback. So I'm meeting the video commissioners from the record labels and I'm meeting the artists. Right. So at one point, um, the the woman at Jive Records was her and I were friendly and Carly. And she was like, oh, I got, I got a video for you. If you're interested, you know, write a treatment, which is the idea for the video. Mm-hmm. And I might hook, I'm going to hook you up with this video. It was for Too Too Many. It was a, a group out of Philly that Will Smith was producing. So it was part of his camp. Okay. So I got all my friends together because I had, you know, all my friends were in the business. So I got all my friends together. We did this video. The group flew in from, from Philly. Actually, no, they took a bus, actually. Them and then a bunch of people from Philly came in. We did the video in New York. And then we still had to shoot the Will Smith stuff. So we had to go to Philly to film him. But I was like, hey, it's my first video and I get to shoot Fresh Prince. That's not too shabby. It's great. So that was the first one I ever did. It was called uh, Where's the Party? It was very fun, upbeat, you know, color, cross colors, mm-hmm. backpacks, flat tops, you know. Very much at the time. Yeah, yeah. No, no, nothing gangster at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the video was cool. It came out pretty good. Right. And you and you won an award for your video with Abby Lincoln, Jazz? Yeah, so the second video I did was for Abby Lincoln, who's like a jazz legend, rest in peace. She passed away a little while ago. But at that time, I think she was just like already 60. Um, wow. So I did this jazz video, but I had a, gave it a little modern flavor to it. And it was really just her and a bunch of kids. So I had these kids be in the band and uh, kind of dressing like up like the Blues Brothers and yeah, we, we won an award for that one. Nice. Yeah, and I think that's the only video she ever did. Nice. Yeah. Oh, only video ever. That Maybe yeah. that's why when I seen a name, like it rung a bell, but I couldn't picture it. Because I like jazz. I'm mm-hmm. really into like Louie and Coltrane and Miles Davis and all these guys. Like right. jazz is probably next to hip hop. Jazz is probably my favorite. And I, I seen Abby Lincoln and I said, why, why don't I know about this person? I think she was married to Max Roach um, at one point, but she's also an actress. She was in Mo Better Blues, actually. She played Bleak's mom. Um, okay. And uh, she she was an actress as well. So she's, she's a roundabout person. When I was up in New York uh, last year, they were doing a big tribute for her at the Apollo. I wish I would have known about it because I would have tried to get in, but it was all it was sold out. Right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's incredible. So the videos led to you meeting um, Dame Dash and this group. I always hear about this group, Original Flavor. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder why. I guess they weren't more mainstream or they didn't blow up even bigger because I hear about them so much. Maybe because I'm a big Rockefeller fan, mm-hmm. I just always yeah, that's like a part of the origin. Yeah. But um, so you 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 end up meeting Damon Dash and Original Flavor and you and you direct the video for them. Yeah. So um, they did a, they had another video. They were on Atlantic Records. Okay. And Dame Dash was uh was uh, their manager. So I like I said, I knew all the video commissioners from being on set all the time and from editing. So I, and I'm a friendly person. So the woman over at Atlantic had offered me the possibility because they don't give you the job right away. You got to write a treatment. You got to meet the band. You got to meet the management. So she was like, yeah, I got this this group called Original Flavor. They had they had a video called Can I Get Open, I think. Um, and then they were like, well, we got another single coming out. And if you if you get along with the manager, you know, you could do the video. And I, I met Damon. He was cool. He, he was kind of you know, Damon, but he was cool. Like mm-hmm. he was actually a cool dude. So we got along and got to do the video. And, you know, there was one guy who was there who was rolling with Damon and rolling with the group. And 
it happened to be Jay Z, but it was just Jay Z on the low. Like he wasn't right. He wasn't. He was already rapping because he already was on. I think can I get open? Which was a original flavor track. I've seen that video, and before. I think he was already on the Jazzo video. Right. Um, I know the Hawaiian Sophie was already out. Yeah. Uh, so he was there, but he was just not. He didn't launch yet. Right. But he was still Jay Z. How was How was Jay Z at in this early '90s time before everybody knew him? Was he reserved? Was he outgoing? How was What was Jay Z's kind of like demeanor? Would you say at that time? Uh, Jay Z was was mad cool, like mad quiet to me anyway. Like he had different levels on how he would like act, but he course. was always professional. That was the, the one thing that always stuck out. He was super professional and knew about what he wanted to do and was willing to learn. So for me, that was great because I'm just really getting started. Damon's just really getting started with Rockefeller. They just started Rockefeller. They didn't even have an office. Right. Um, so by the time we got around to doing the first Jay-Z video, which was I Can't Get With That, Shot it in Marcy. Um, that was the first time I ever been to Marcy. I'm from Manhattan, but I never, <laughs> I don't go to Brooklyn unless I have to. Right. So especially at that time. Right? Yeah. So that was kind of rough. I mean, no one really was messing with me, but I, literally, I was, I pulled up, parked in front of Marcy for a second, and then this dude gets mugged right in front of me. Wow. Really? Yeah. This Chinese. And you dude, out there with all that equipment? Well, I didn't even get out the car yet. Yeah. Like they didn't even know I had the equipment. The crew wasn't there. I was on. I was early. So I just. <laughs> And the funny thing, that happened two more times when I came back to Marcy, literally sitting in there super early in the morning, someone's always getting murked. They didn't get murdered, but they got um, robbed, robbed yeah. while I'm sitting in the car yeah. waiting to go in, in, in into the, the belly of the beast. But they, you know, they knew we were there to shoot a video, so they didn't mess with us. Right. Oh, that's amazing. They probably knew, you know, who was shooting the video, too. Yeah. Had something to do with it. So you, you, um, you wrote the treatment for I Can't Get With That. Yeah, you wrote the treatment for both of the um, for the in my lifetimes. Yeah, so the in my lifetime. Let's see, let's see. The first one was a collaboration. Well, they're always a collaboration. So I would always collaborate with Damon and Jay, and just try to figure out what's the best way to showcase the lifestyle that they're trying to showcase. So I just remember it was mad cold in New York, and they were like, "Well, let's go shoot a video in St. Thomas." And I'm like, all right, I've never been to St. Thomas. And they were like, okay, we're going to go pre-scout everything. Right. So they went out to St. Thomas and scouted everything, took pictures. And by the time they came back, I was like, okay, well, this is going to be all the bullet points we want to shoot. You know, we want to show Jay at Wildin' Out. We want to show Jay as a businessman. So you see him on the computer. Um, and we want to show Jay as, you know, as a player. So he's got all the girls and all that stuff. So it was, it was, everything was very strategic. It was no like, let's just go shoot whatever we want. Even at it that, even never at that. that age and point. No, they well, still actually, had the vision. even in that, especially back then, you don't do it. You never do that because we were shooting in film. Right. And that's expensive. Right. So every, every roll of film is several hundred dollars plus processing. So you have to be strategic on what you're going to shoot. Yeah, you don't want to waste a lot. Because you don't have money to burn or film to burn. Right. So that was that was a good video. And and I think after we finished that, he was still independent. Mm -hmm. um, I Can't Get With That video was literally just for like Video Music Box, which I mentioned earlier. So that was a local station. So that was just really for them. Getting a start. And then when we did it in, uh, in my lifetime, that got a little buzz and played here and there. Uh, but it was it wasn't it didn't go that far, 
And when I'm trying to sell myself as a director, I'm actually trying to sell Jay-Z as an artist to the labels because he was still independent. So I'm like, yo, check out this dude, you know, Jay-Z, he's cool. And they were like, eh. They were just turning turning them down. <laughs> and I'm like, really? It's crazy. And like, you know, I'm sure they were probably kicking themselves mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think Biggie was just coming out too. Right. Uh, so that was the focus was on on Biggie and, and Bad Boy. Right. Wow, that's that's incredible. In my lifetime too is like whenever I'm on my way to like a business meeting, that's my number one song I put mm-hmm. on. It's just like so ambitious and so like the flow of it is like calming, you right. know, and like the the content of it is just like it put me in a mindset of like dreaming. Like even the way he started, like it's the thought of a ride that make my eyes wide, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just thinking like. I'm about to get this, you know. Right. So I love that so much. Yeah, and you oh. got to pick up, you know, Jazzo for producing that track. Jazzo made the beat. Yeah. Okay. And that's incredible. Uh, we did that video at this real mafia uh, restaurant in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, and um, then we used all the rest of the footage from uh, from the first video. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was it was interesting times. It's like bringing all these people together, all these artists, and nobody's beefing. And um, all these little cameos, little Sean and, and original flavor was in there, and bringing some of the girls back who was in St. Thomas. So it, it was it was fun. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So so Dead Presidents, did you write Dead Presidents treatment as well? Yeah, Dead Presidents. That was laser focused. That that was like okay. So we gotta. The goal for me, and I, I'm assuming with Jay and, and B, I'm gonna say Biggs, Kareem was in in the mix as well, and Damon, was to do stuff that was different. And since Jay's music was so visual and, and it told a story, it's like, we gotta tell a story. We can't just have girls shaking their ass. Like, you know, we didn't, if you think about it, a lot of those videos didn't even have girls doing that stuff right. at all. Right. I mean, down the, down the line we did. Right. Um, even in my lifetime, you know, we kept it classy at least. Yeah, it was they were, different. They were having fun. It was different. So this one was really based off of let's tell a story of this hustler trying to meet up with a, another hustler who's kind of a cornball and just can't get his shit together. And it had a little nod to the movie Heat. If you remember that movie Heat with Robert De Niro. I do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so actually that was like the first time like a me and a bunch of the Rockefeller crew we all went to see Heat like couple weeks or actually I don't know before we went to to do the treatment but we all went to the movies and saw that movie because everyone was into that gangster lifestyle and you root for the bad guy <laughs> mostly mm-hmm. so we had we kind of made one scene uh, as a sort of a, a, a hat nod to a heat where Jay is watching basically the cops are watching them and then they're watching the cops that type of thing right so yeah were you were you I did, were you the guy with the walkie-talkie in there, I, I feel like I seen a cameo. You had yeah, like a yeah. I was, I was, I was in the, I was yeah. in the beginning. I was I said, in two of the videos. Yeah, I seen it. I was in two of the videos. That was the end of. I was basically we would me and the the uh, Spanish guy. We were trying to do our version of New York Undercover. So you know, I was playing the Malik Yoba part, and he was playing the Michael D. Lorenzo part. So we were at the end of In My Lifetime remix playing cops. And then in the beginning of Dead Presidents playing cops, watching him get off the helicopter and then telling the other cops to watch him. You know, it was just sort of like, keep an eye on this guy. He's about to be blowing up. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's definitely amazing. So 
there's an iconic scene in Dead Presidents for every hip hop fan that grew up or learned about 90s hip hop because I because I'm a little younger so I learned about Jay-Z's earlier days later on. Mm -hmm. But going back and watching and then I see this iconic round table scene with Biggie and Junior Mafia surrounding, with AZ, with Biggs and Dame, of course, all around, mm -hmm. telling jokes. It's real, real New York, the New York humor and all that type of stuff. Who came up with the idea for that scene? I would have to put that on on Jay-Z, Damon, and Biggs. Yeah. I, I don't know if all three of them did or just Jay. I don't know. But it was it was just in the treatment. Biggie's going to be there. We're going to play Monopoly with this really expensive version of Monopoly with gold pieces and they're gonna play with real money. Yeah. And drinking real cristal and blah blah blah. So that was a definite scene that was actually something that we literally had to wait for Biggie because he was late. <laughs> but we could not shoot the scene without him. Yeah. You so that scene was 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 fun to shoot. I, I had no idea what they were gonna say. We were just kind of freestyling. Kind of improv. And, yeah, because it was no performance. It was just like, you know, it was focused on just showcasing the, the, the lifestyle. Right. And uh, that was it. That was that was the magic. So what was did you guys like shoot a lot of the stuff guerrilla style? Or was it like did you because they were still independent at this time, so did they kinda like we're gonna get a permit here, but we're not gonna get a permit here, or what uh, how did you guys no, go about no. that? I was professional. So yeah. we had we had permits, we had insurance, um, every scene if you look at the shots, not to even brag, but if you look at the shots, they were well composed. Very it, was much a, so. it was a dolly track. You can't do you can't put the dolly track in the middle of the street, close right. down the street. Right. And not to you know, you can you do that permits. on the low if you got handheld, but once you start putting dolly track down, you need once a you start stopping traffic and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. no, we, we had a tough crew who was working hard. My my first AD his name was Greg Eminem Wirtz, producer Chevalier Reeves, like the whole team was in it. And we we did our damn thing. So so the the like you were if you look at this you know as you as you mentioned earlier it was like a collaborative effort and they kind of they were really proactive in 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 terms of image but you were very instrumental in creating the persona of Jay Z and this is a this is like a a blueprint a blueprint or a template that other rappers have used since him like did you know exactly what you were doing when you when you first met Jay-Z and he really started kind of like turning up and getting serious about music did you know that this was something special coming like you said you pitched them to you know um labels and things like when you went in there but did you know like this guy if he gets his chance he's going like fuck shit up basically i i i had i had the foresight to say yes this guy is very special and 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 i say that and be, being humble too, but I say that because I had to pretty much do this, I don't wanna say on spec, but I had to invest in him with my time, my equipment, my connections, my friends, because they weren't spending a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I had to make a point, say, okay, I'm gonna invest my time in this one particular artist. I can't do this with everybody. Right. So when I'm directing these videos, I'm actually out doing playback or uh, or doing editing jobs for other people so I can afford to work for these guys because they were still independent so the, 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 the dollars weren't high. 
but I wanted to make sure the quality was was high. So I was like, I'm going to invest in this artist because I believe in him. He's got talent. That's the first thing. He's got talent. He's a nice person. He has vision. And he's not all about that bullshit. So, you know, he was laser focused. I was laser focused. And with that, it makes a good team. On top of him being a um, like a world class talent, verbalist, vocalist, lyricist, do you think that his business acumen and his, his approach towards things has just as much to do with his success as the talent? I think so. I, I mean, also the business side, I wasn't like I never went in the studio while he was in the studio. Right. I was always I was at the office a lot trying to, you know, just either just hanging out or just talking business what the next video is or what the next visuals were. Um, so it wasn't clear what the strategy was on the Rockefeller side because they were still independent. So it was the distribution was tough because it was, you know, it was local. They didn't have a major label to, to get it worldwide. So at that time, it was sort of just kind of feeling your way around it and see how it's going to work out. Right. But I, but like I said, you could, I can see how they were very focused. Right. And and at the same time, like I said, Bad Boy was blowing up like really big. So did you think you, they you were felt some kind of competition? I already knew there was competition. Yeah. So I was basically like, you know, Team Rock all the way, even though I like Bigs and, you know, some of the artists on Bad Boy. But, you know, you had to stay loyal to your, your, the people you work with. Right. Uh, so I was a little surprised that I was like, oh, Biggs is going to be in the video. <laughs> Biggie's going to be in the video. <laughs> I thought they were, you know, in yeah. competition, but they right. weren't. Right. They weren't. Friendly competition. They weren't. In, I didn't even know they were in competition. Yeah, it was just that and, cool. I just, you know, I just knew Biggie was him and Jay was Jay. And then it was really just the label side of it all. And then when you think about it, it's like, were they really in competition? Because... Biggie was Jay was on Biggie's album, and Biggie yeah, was on Jay's album. They didn't shy away from from recording together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they very confident guys. Very, you know, it wasn't he's gonna take away from me. It was like we both shine and we gonna do our thing. Right. Yeah, definitely. And this and this all led to another very legendary project. And Streets is watching. All right, right, right. Right. So Streets is Watching is a whole different animal and a whole different block. It's basically a visual album. Correct. I would describe it as. Right. So, yeah, Streets is Watching came about after the Sunshine video came out. And basically, you know, they strayed. Did <laughs> they, you shoot? Did you shoot? I didn't shoot that. Sunshine? I didn't okay. do Sunshine. So, you know, there's there's. There's a bit of a disloyalty there, but you know, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> but you know, what happens is when you're working with someone from the beginning and you start to get money, I can just assume that like, oh, we got more money, let's go get that guy because he does the higher budgeted videos, yeah. and we're gonna leave this guy behind. But that's what happened. Yeah. I'm just speaking the truth. And then they so they went to back. hype and and hype did the video, and also Def Jam was involved uh, at started to buzz around at that time as well. That was that was definitely yeah. And uh, so they did the video for for Sunshine and it didn't turn out too great. And they sort of were getting clowns because the video was a little too friendly, too flashy. Pop. Yeah. And uh so I got a call from Damon. He was like, oh come out to my crib in Jersey. So I drove out to see Damon and we just really talked about the Sunshine video and how he wants to do something with a little more street cred. So 
we just drove around in his car and just listened to all these tracks, like the B-sides, like all these tracks that weren't really going to be singles. And we're going to do videos for those. But we're just going to do like really raw videos. Like we're not going to bleep anything, but we're going to have storyline. We're going to have girls. We're going to have guns. We're just going to wild out a little bit, but not on some, you know, hey, look at us. We're, we're, we're dancing, you know, in, in shiny suits. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be all street. We're going to be wearing jerseys. We're going to be wearing baseball caps. And right. that's kind of it. You right. know what I mean? You know, Rock Aware was just getting started, so it wasn't quite the, wasn't quite happening yet, but they was they were working on it. Um, so that was, that was the beginning of it. It was really an idea. I, I think looking back, I was like, I wish we would have had a story that went straight through I think we tried to do a storyline that went straight through from beginning to end, but we sort of ran out of time. So we had to uh, sort of just do vignettes, mm-hmm. which were little pieces of stories mm-hmm. that set the mood, set the vibe, but we didn't really get to do a beginning, middle, and end like I would want to have done. Give me all of those in a, in a size 10. <laughs> the whole wall. I want the whole yeah, wall. So that was, you know, every, everything was iconic for some of those scenes. Um, you know, we, we you know we had little cameos. Herb Gotti was in it. You know, it's just little things that you might not even notice. Sometimes you got to go back and watch that piece. It's actually pretty decent. I'm, I'm not mad at that project. Yeah, man, I own a, I own a DVD. I bought the DVD when they re-released it when I was uh, in high school. Okay. I, I got think the, the only thing that I, that I, to this day I hate is that we were shooting the one scene and the sun went down before we can finish it. Mm-hmm. And so one shot is, is you can see a little the lighter up, and, and then the next shot is darker and then you go back over there and the sun's up again. So mm-hmm. that was the only thing, but it was like, it's nothing you can do. You can't control the sun and yeah, you couldn't you come back yeah. to shoot anything. So it was, that that would be the one thing I, sure we could fix it in digital if we wanted to, Yeah, nobody's gonna pay for that. Right. <laughs> and now we get into my age mm-hmm. and you're getting into my generation with the, um in, in terms of me being like, maybe late middle school or early high school, the state property family. Okay. And iconic for us. Um, if you're a hip hop fan, Beanie Siegel was in his prime, state property, Philly had a real strong movement at that time. Mm-hmm. And you get the call for that. I'm, I'm assuming that was Dame? Yeah, that was Dame's, that was Dame's project, really. Um, I had already moved to LA at that time. And um, you know, I was still in contact with them. And I was just like, so what's, what do you got going on? I think he was already doing a movie. I think he was doing Paid in Full at the same time. And I'm feeling a little something about that. Right. And um, so I get a call from Damon. And he was like, oh, I'm going to send you this script. It was called Get Down and Lay Down at that time. Mm-hmm. And he sent it out. And I read it. I don't even think I had a cover on it. So I didn't know who wrote it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, it was just like this script. I read it through. I was like, okay, this is straight gangster movie. I can do this. Right. So I came into New York, had a meeting with, with Damon and Shaka. Then we drove down and we met uh, Ron Rothhold, who was this other producer. And then we went and met Lionsgate. They used to be in New York. And went down and had a meeting and we just sort of chopping it up, talking about the project. And it was it was an interesting meeting. Like the Lionsgate guy was cool. The other producer, I don't know about him too much. He was saying some real racist bullshit because <laughs> yeah. he was like we were just talking about the characters and stuff and he was like man it doesn't matter you know just put some kids on the corner with with colorful clothes no one's gonna know if we swap them out and have someone else play that role i was like what that doesn't make any all sense. black people but look alike huh pretty much i mean i was like really did he just say that but he did um but yeah so that one sort of just kind of came around um 
Actually, I heard about it before I heard about it. So I heard about it from, a, if you remember the Source magazine, Yeah. I just saw a little article in the Source magazine stating that Beanie Siegel is going to do a movie kind of like Streets is Watching. Okay. And I was like, wait a second, how is he going to do a movie like Streets is Watching? I did Streets is Watching. Why can't I do that movie? Right. So I think I, w- I might have initially reached out to Damon first. Right. And then he reached out, he reached back and sent me the script. Right. I still got the article too. Man, that's amazing. So did you, like that movie, it wasn't fully casted, but a lot. Did you, did you, were you involved in any of the casting and in, in any of the kind of like, I guess, script adjustments? And Yeah. So on the casting part, it was interesting because they all wanted all, everybody Rockefeller to be in it. So there was a moment where when I had to come to New York and cast it, but you had to see every single person that showed up for the casting in Rockefeller. So um, whoever wanted to be in it came to cast, whether they acted or not. They already knew Beanie Siegel was going to be in it, Memphis Bleak was going to be in it, Emilio Sparks, all those guys who were part of state property. Yeah, yeah, all those dudes who were part of the crew were going to be in it. We just got to figure out who's playing who. Obviously, Beanie's going to play Beans. And um, and Jay was supposed to be in it more than he was. But uh, there were already roles that were already given to people. But every all those other little roles, everyone auditioned and some people got them, some people didn't. And then at some point, we went out and got actors who were just actors. Right. Uh, Chris Williams, who was in State, um, State Property, was also in... Um, Imaginary Players, which was in Streets is Watching, the mm-hmm. guy who, who's got the Gucci. Another Gucci. one of my favorites. So he he was in it. I saw him in the street. I was like, I'm going to put you in this movie, and I did. Um, and the actor, the funny thing is, is this actor, Darren Henson, I don't know if you know who he is. I know him. He was in Soul Train, so, not Soul Train, but uh, Soul Food. Mm-hmm. I would see him, I saw him at one of both projects I got, after I got Streets is Watching, I'm driving back into Manhattan, that's the first person I see and I was like, yo, what's up, what's up? I got this movie called, you know, it wasn't called Streets is Watching, actually, when we were first doing it. But I ran into him right after that meeting. And then as soon as I got state property, I ran into him in the village. So he was he's like my good luck charm. I just ran into him like yesterday uh, at the Soul uh, American Soul screening. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, what was the question? No, that was that was just oh, the you, script. The script. Uh, script and casting. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the casting was was. All Rockefeller, and then eventually we went outside and got a couple actors because nobody wants to play a cop. So yeah, got, so you got to get you know other people, <laughs> and then um, that's how I ended up playing cops in the other videos because nobody wants to be the cop. Right. Uh, so the script was interesting because it was, as I found out down the road, I finally found out there was a scriptwriter who wasn't not involved anymore, but. They basically had a specific amount of time, a specific amount of money they wanted to spend on this project. So my, as soon as I got involved, my goal was to go through the script and start making the production cheaper to shoot. So I had to do a shooting script and change a lot of stuff from nighttime to daytime because it's cheaper to shoot stuff in the daytime and pull a lot of stuff out. So I'm pulling stuff out of the script. That was my job to simplify it and pull stuff out and uh, it was really a 60-page script, but it was for a 90-minute or 87-minute movie. Right. So that's why there's all those slow-motion scenes, because I had to make up all the time that was missing. Right. You, you know, 
usually a minute per page. Right. So there's still 60 pages, but we still don't have enough to make a full movie. So it was really up to me to sort of flesh it out, let some stuff improvise Improv. so we can actually make it so it's a feature. So you you took a 60-page script and turned it into a 90-minute movie? Yeah, I mean, I think it was That's 87 that's 87 minutes, yeah. something like that. Yeah, was, close to it. Yeah, but that was like that was a big deal. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that that's was a, a big for deal. For me, I'm sitting here thinking as a writer, as a director, you know, coming in, I'm thinking like, how could I do that? Yeah, yeah, that's it was, a, that's it was, incredible. It, was, it wasn't fun. Let's yeah, that that's way. incredible. So, so Dame J and Biggs, right? There's always been this contrast in personalities. For each one of them, how would you describe? Dame Jay and Biggs being around each other in that time, like meeting them and and you know tr having transactions with them and so forth and so on. Well, I'll start with, with with Kareem Biggs Burke. He was a quiet one, so usually he never said much. Um, so if I ever got a call from him, it'd be like, why is he calling me? <laughs> I don't really <laughs> Am I in trouble. I would, you know, we would, yeah, I, I, I would basically like I was. I know he was up to shit, yeah, but I didn't know what he did half the time. But he was always there, so right. I knew he was part of the company. But he didn't really say much. It wasn't like he didn't want to say much. He was just sort of the quiet, quiet, one. right. Um, so usually when he spoke, you listen. Um, and then Damon was the loudmouth. Which I, that's not a surprise. I'm sure everyone knows that. So yeah. Damon was a loud mouth, but he was very much a businessman, um, and he loved the ladies and was just Damon. I, it's it's hard to explain him. So, but he was also the, a creative person as well and had ideas. And Jay just had all the ideas. Like Jay had just like so many ideas, and if and. If he had something to say, he would say it. He's not. He wasn't a loud, talkative person. Now, when they're all in the room, forget it. It's yeah. it's crazy. Like, yeah. You know, there's signature laughs. They all have the signature laugh. Mm -hmm. But one on one, they're all very different. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Damon was very mellow most of the time. It was cool. You know, he escalated as you know as a like, more popular he got. You know, the energy changed. But Jay was pretty much the same dude, as far as I can tell. Yeah. You know, it's like, I need you to do this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What's next? You know, it wasn't yeah. like, ah, do I have to do this or anything like that? It's it was just, just like, ready to get it done. Ready to do his job, and I, I always respected that. Yeah. That's that's amazing. I, 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 as you've worked with a lot of artists, I bet that's like something that you really like take to a light because I've heard a lot of artists are like terrors show up late to everything complain lazy because you know, a lot of a lot of rappers or, or artists don't really like videos mm -hmm. they like making the music writing the music and then all of the stuff that come afterwards they like this is a headache like you know what I mean yeah luckily I didn't work with them so I, I almost everybody I worked with was on their game like all city I don't know if you remember all city they were they were a hip hop duo from from Brooklyn. They were really good. The album was Metropolis Gold. Uh, they were on Geffen, and then they went to MCA. They just didn't blow up. They did the one album, disappeared. Yeah. But they were dope. Uh, but they were always on point. We did three videos. Yeah. And uh, Sauce Money was always on point. Like he wanted to do the videos. He wanted to. He wanted to do good videos. Sauce was nice too. Yeah. He was nice. And he's still around. I think yeah. he's got something coming out soon. Nice. Um. But I, I'm just saying all that because, like, I don't know. Nah, these guys you had they wanted to do the videos. Right. They wanted to be on TV because 
you know, when, when we were doing the videos, you, you're not searching like on YouTube to find it. It's programmed. It's there. It's there. So it's there. Yeah. It luckily, is. a lot of the videos, like like the first All City video we did, was I, I always call them throwaway videos when the label doesn't pay a lot of money. Like even though forty grand is actually not a, not bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> but back then, and forty grand wasn't you know the best budget. But the first All City video we did was like forty grand and. It was a throwaway video for them because they weren't quite ready for them yet. Like, yeah, that video went to number one on Rap City, so it was sort of like y'all never know. Sneak, you know, sneak up on you. We had a. I gotta uh, look this group up. I never had DJ enough. Premier was in it. Then a quick cameo because he produced Premier produced the track, and then Onyx uh, was in it because Onyx was like the sub label for the group. Okay, and so the whole. Onyx was in the in there, but yeah, look up All City. The actual was the first video called the actual. Shot it in Brooklyn and we shot it in Manhattan. You got any any stories um, from that time? It was a different a different time in hip hop um, back then. Much more aggressive, much more kind of like vulgar. You know, it wasn't everything wasn't all you know as progressive as it is now. So a lot of things were different. You have any like Rockefeller stories? Maybe on set. Or you know maybe just hanging around lounging with the with the crew. Um, not really. I mean, I can always tell that Jay was a boss, like for real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I went to his house once. He lived on State Street. I think he he was in the song he put it. But he lived on State Street in Brooklyn, and I went over there, and you know, he just had this really cool crib that was like in the cut, and he just had people coming by trying to sell him shit, and he was like, nah. That you know, he was just a cool dude, so I, I don't really have any specific stories that I would tell. But I think a funny story would be shooting the uh, the uh, video for um, uh, Face Off, and that was kind of wild. And everyone was drinking and, and wilding out, and the strippers were were real strippers. So we had different tiers of strippers. We had like the hardcore Brooklyn strippers who had their manager there, and she was like, yo, the guys that keep trying to finger the girls, and I, I had to get on stage and be like, yo, please don't <laughs> stick your fingers in the dancers. And then she was like, yeah, but if they're going to do that, they got to pay extra, you know, so it was oh, like... so she wanted like, money. Oh. She that was the problem. Not right, and they wanted more money for that. But I just always, I always remembered having, like, this is odd, I have to get on, on, on the stage and get a bullhorn and tell people, do not stick your fingers in the dancers. Yeah. And this is a video. This is not a real strip club. Uh, so back, I'm guessing a lot of cash was transactions back then. I, Clark Kent, um, I heard Clark Kent say um, they gave him like 10 G's to make it to produce one of the records. He just put 10 G's in his book bag, caught the train with 10 G's in his book bag back home. Was it was it somewhat like that back in the day? Yeah, I, I, I did a video and the budget, I don't remember what the budget was, but it was given to me in like fives and tens and paper bags. So I'm in my apartment on 19th Street counting all the money out. I'm like, okay, this is how we do in business. But right. it, was all, it was legit, but it yeah. was just cash transactions. Yeah, cash transactions. Know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I was washing anything, but yeah. you know what? Statue of limitations. Forget about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. What What do you think are the biggest differences between filmmaking in today's time and filmmaking in the past? Um, well, that's a whole another segment, but um, it's it's different now because you could be real independent now and get good quality uh, content, as they call it these days, um, with very little skills and with very cheap equipment, but it's still is acceptable to the eye of the average viewer. Right. Now, 
that was I said that on purpose because you know there are people who are loving trained film and your eye is trained to watch something that looks cinematically correct right photographed properly composed and edited properly with right. real acting but so and then also back I'll just say back in the day I don't wanna, I, I hate dating everything but there was a, a a real strong community of filmmakers and of people who were coming together and working together and making projects that were really good from from the girls the video vixens whatever you want to call them to the cinematographers to the editors to the colorists to the dp the wardrobe you know it was this community of people you know you're going to go to company three and you know you're going to be paying 500 dollars an hour to, to color your movie i mean your video and hype was just in there but he was paying 750 you know but so it's always this 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 place that you already know you can get the greatest looks and you got the colorists maybe you get them on the off time so it was always these stars within the camp that's going to definitely elevate your project but right, right now it's a free-for-all like everyone could do stuff at home you know if you shoot a video they expect you to direct it shoot it edit it color it you know put yeah it out. it's it's sort of like the community and the structure of the money is not there right people are making a living yeah like for real like you can just do videos all year long you do 12 videos 10 videos you're good you're good now you're doing five thousand dollar videos i'm sure people are doing them i can't do those but i don't see how you can make money right because the average pay for the director was 10 grand just to direct right it wasn't to edit wasn't to shoot you, you know if you got a hundred thousand dollar video you're gonna go home with 10 grand. Yeah. And if you're an editor, you can take another five. That's 15. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, your 15 might be the whole budget. Yeah, you're right. I don't know what you're gonna do with that. Are, are labels offering that amount? Lab, labels are offering lower, like, remember I was saying, oh, the $40,000 is a throwaway, but now that's like a that's normal, the normal budget. That's a normal budget. Right. So, you know, someone for me, if I someone says, "Oh, you got forty grand," I'll still make it look great, and I know I can save money because I know, you know, the cameras are cheaper. You don't have to do um, get film anymore. You can just shoot on digital, so I know where I can save money. But I still like the crew to get paid. Like I was, I was helping people pay their mortgage, yeah, and feed their kids, million dollar you know? videos and things so, like that. Back well, I never had million dollar videos, but <laughs> I had a hundred thousand dollar videos. Right, but I wasn't doing that that level, but. It was consistent enough that people just, you know, I could pick up every three weeks. All right, what you doing? I got a video coming, you know. Actually come paying bills with let's, it. Let's get this going. Nice. So that that was, that's the big difference between then and now. Like now it's sort of like you can't, now it's like every phone call I'm going to get someone to shoot. It's almost feel like I'm asking for a favor every time because it's people who were doing stuff back then still want to be making money like they were back then. Yeah. And then they're buying all this gear and, you know, it's kind of hard actually for a lot of people because you got to keep up with all these cameras. Right. And the cameras aren't cheap though. Like if you get them real cameras with the real lenses. Yeah, those aren't cheap. It's not cheap. Real real cinematic cameras, definitely not cheap. I've, I've been looking at them. I'm like, well, I'm not ready for that one yet. And but... the messed up part is that they keep changing them. So yeah. you go ahead and spend all your money on this camera and then uh, ninety, not ninety days, but I'd say a about year. a year to nine months later, there's another version, and then another camera is hot. Mm-hmm. Now, now your camera is not hot, so no one's asking for it, but you're still paying for it. Right. 
So you're trying to figure out how to make your money and you end up getting mad and then you get all these pissed mm -hmm. off people. You mentioned um, like a tight knit community kind of, of people kind of working together and creating films. We kind of seeing a reemergence of like black cinema, mm -hmm. I feel like, um, that we haven't seen in, I don't know, 25 years maybe. Right. And um, like, what are your thoughts on seeing that? Do you, do you agree? That that's happening, and are you are you liking the new wave of of African American cinema? Do you see kind of like a little bit of unity coming back together and community and things like that? Yeah, it's definitely there. It's it's apparent because the product is coming out mm -hmm. um, now. Just to find out which circle you fit in with, like who you click with, who part of you, you know, who's in your click, whatever you want to call it, is like the next step because. You know, you got the Ava DuVernay's, the Lee Daniels, and Spike's doing stuff. But, but with Spike, it seems like it's usually just Spike. Mm -hmm. You know, he'll bring in a lot of people, but it's usually Spike directing. Mm -hmm. So I, to be honest, I can't say, I can't even say who a Spike protege is, even though I know people who would say that they were, but I kind of didn't really, I can't really say Spike has a community of directors. He has a community of filmmakers. So he's always doing stuff. Um, and then... It's a little too soon for the for uh, what's his name uh, the uh, Black Panther Ryan Coogler because mm -hmm. I think he's really just three or four movies in three movies in and I don't see a complete circle of people in his camp yet right but I'm sure that they will there is they just haven't come out yet right um, so it's it's happening it's happening slowly and then they're starting to bring in some of us through you know I'm, I'm sure they're kicking and screaming like why we gotta why we gotta bring in black folks why we gotta bring in women but you know that's usually the next thing is black folks and women black folks and women yeah but you know people are trying and then it's happening it is i see like for me i'm like people i feel like people make this a little bit harder than it has to be like they kind of treat this like you're trying to join like a secret society or the Illuminati or something sometime. Like we really just making films. Like right. why are you acting all guarded and protective? Like, you know, like not answering emails or acting like your email is, is sacred. And, and like, I've seen a lot of that stuff since I've been here and I'm like, you're doing a little too much for your little two guest appearances you had in in a film mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you're not doing that much like why are you acting like that that's that's what i've seen um so like you said it's about building your team and about finding the people that you click with and that you can work with i guess that's why you see people continuously work with the same people over and over it's just so much less of a hassle mm -hmm. than kind of trying to bring somebody in to mess up like the energy of what you got going on because energy in film it just matters it's I, we might be in the most collaborative field that you could ever be in, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it is a very collaborative film, and I, and I always tell people that, and I, that's why I'm always against having one person do everything. And as you said in the beginning of the interview, I do everything, but I don't want to do everything. Right. I want to do one thing and have someone else do their job the right way and right. have someone else do their job the right way mm -hmm. and the next person and the next not just me doing everything just because I can mm -hmm. and things come out better when you collaborate because the energy is synergy you know everybody have if you have a common goal with a common purpose you get great product unless someone fucked it up <laughs> so do you do you watch a lot of tv and film yourself uh, I watch a lot of movies. Uh, I watch a lot of TV, but I can't watch everything. It's too much it is right now. Lot. It's like it's too much stuff. So 
I usually end up watching stuff that somebody recommends. So if someone says watch this, I'll give it a shot. That's how I do. Um, I get like two recommendations. I'll go or either one from my from my boy Les. You met Les with um with True. Mm-hmm. If he tells me, then I'll I'll usually go and I'll check it out. Yeah. So I trust it. I trust it. If it's streaming and someone recommends it, I I will take a look at it. But I'll take out and I also will do like one of those. Let me take 10 minutes and see what's what's out on that's coming out that Mm -hmm. I should watch. So the the things that I found that were really good was um, this show called Black. I think it was Black Sunday. I think it's called Black Sunday. Is it's like a apocalypse zombie apocalypse show on yeah. uh, on uh, Netflix, and I just saw that just it said black and <laughs> yeah <laughs> it had a black face in it yeah I was like what is this yeah and I watched it and then I watched the whole thing so obviously I'm so it's it. good it's a series or a movie it's a series okay I'm gonna yeah. have to check that out and then it was another one called Bodyguard and I'm like what the, what is Bodyguard is it like Bodyguard with like Whitney Houston? No, yeah. it wasn't. It was a British show about this uh, British um, agent, and he's guarding someone. But that was a great show. The guy won a he won a um, Golden Globe, I think, the actor. But that was me just watching that on my own. So I, I I like to watch stuff that I just discover as well. It's a show called Easy on Netflix. Well, this is not a Netflix sponsored show, so I'm gonna stop giving them <laughs> giving them <laughs> views. Props. But it was but it was actually a show called Easy. It's in their third season, and it's really just a show about couples going through different issues. And I actually liked it because it was so simple. Yeah, kind of like relative to real life. Do you did you watch Game of Thrones? I did not watch Game of Thrones. I tried to watch the first season. Actually, no, I did watch the first season. I hated it, and then. <laughs> When I got rid of HBO and finally got HBO again, I tried to watch it. But then the way HBO does on demand, like they wouldn't have all the episodes. They'll be have like episode two of season three. And yeah, then I was like, I can't yeah. even watch it. Right. So it kind of broke up the. Yeah. The, and then I was kind of done with that time period. I didn't really care. Yeah. To be honest with you, I, I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings. So I would watch that. And the last series I watched that had to do with that King British stuff with the Tudors. Tudors. They were on, I remember that show. On Showtime. Mm-hmm. And I watched that religiously and once it was over, I was good. Kind of good. Yeah, yeah I didn't seen keep enough. watching that. How about um, Avengers Endgame? Did you check that out? Yeah, I saw Avengers. I'm a big fan of that stuff. Right. Um, you know, I did feel... I had my opinions about the movie and how they just kind of threw everybody in there and I felt the movie was way too long and they took too, t- too long to get the movie going, but... I wouldn't saw it. I think I only saw it once though. One but, to ten scale. Um, I'd give it a. I'll give it an eight. Yeah. It okay. was still yeah. good, but yeah. it was just drawn out. Right. Like they could have chopped. Yeah, they could have chopped off forty minutes. Did you see us? Yeah, I saw us. I think about three times. Okay, so you like us? Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. Int- I had to watch it. Actually, no, I saw it twice. I had to see it. Period. Obviously. And then I went and did my research because it was a little all over the place with the, the little Easter eggs, you call it, and mm-hmm. little subliminal imagery. So I went home and did some studying and read some articles and saw some YouTube videos and then went back and saw it again so I can appreciate it more. So, yeah, I saw that twice. Nice. Did you know John Singleton? I did know John Singleton. And uh, rest in peace, rest in power. Yeah, rest in peace, John. Um, I I met him at the Directors Guild. I mean, I obviously knew who he was uh, mm-hmm. from obviously his work, 
and seen him in passing a few times, was on panels with him. And then the African-American Steering Committee, which I was the co-chair of uh, years ago, maybe like 2000, well, in 2015, I forgot the exact date, but we honored him. Like every year, my committee will take a prominent African-American director like Bill Duke, Michael mm-hmm. Schultz, Paris Barkley, and we'll do uh, an event and honor them, um, which means show their work, invite people who were influenced by him or worked with him or her. So we did this event with John Singleton a few years ago and had Ice Cube there. We had the person that Ice Cube was based off of there and all the talent. Anybody you can think of was there. It was a right. huge event. And I put together, so what I usually do also besides putting together the events is I put together the video, the clip package video that you show at the, the show. So I got the honor to film him at his office and run an interview and ask all these questions and then build the video. So I had to watch all his movies and edit together this, I think it was like 10 minute video. So I really got to know him pretty well. And he was, he was an interesting guy. He's, he's kind of like Spike, like very eccentric. Sometimes he's quiet, sometimes he's not. But you can tell like he's always thinking, he's always thinking about movies and everything is based around movies. Mm-hmm. And then after after the whole event was over, he invited me to, to, to a meeting with him. And he didn't really know who I was though. That was the funny thing. He was like, oh, this is this guy who's working at the DGA. I was like, I don't work at the DGA. I'm, I'm just a member like you are but I'm just part of the committee. So I went down and went on his boat and just sort of just chopped it up, had a cool meeting. And then I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a director as well. And I, you know, I did State Property. And he was like, oh, State Property, that's my joint. I play that in my office. And then he started to respect <laughs> me because right. at least he knew something that I did. Right. Where before he didn't, he just, he didn't, ba- he, he bases your relationship on the movies that you do. That's <laughs> funny. Uh, if you're a director. Right, so, right. You know, I need to know something you did. Like, oh, I screened that, screen that at my office and blah, blah, blah. And so then the energy level changed. Yeah. Like he was much more friendlier. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's, so you basically coming up here on, on really like three decades of, of um, being in the industry and doing professional things. What keeps you going through like all of the ups and downs and navigating the politics and bs of the game through all these especially through these changes because technology has changed things so fast and rapid Mm -hmm. well for me it's 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 what i set out to do and and i'm here to do what i said i was going to do and to make my family and my mother proud and to make my friends proud and to you know try to make some money and retire with some dignity so you know the thing is if you quit no one cares. That's the thing. And that's something that I found out the hard way is that if you stop doing what you're doing, you can just rest on what you did in the past. And people are cool with that because they've moved on to the next person. So you really need to keep pushing yourself and then finding a way to keep yourself going by the support of your family and your friends and your peers and your colleagues and and figure out what you're trying to do and how you're going to get there no matter what obstacles are thrown your way because there's certainly a whole lot of obstacles you got to go around and i there is no light at the end of the tunnel right now Mm -hmm. like that tunnel i'm just right now still in the tunnel no matter what success i have or have had like i don't see that light because i'm still chopping my way through through the tunnel i'm making the tunnel you know what I mean? So it's one of those things where you just have to love what you do and do what you love. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, so I do love the business. The business part is mad shady, though. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you have to be prepared for that. And you also have to realize it's still art. You know, we're doing art right now. It's not it's not anything that's going to save the world. Even a documentary could save the world, but it's still it's art. So I'm trying to hold on to the artist part of me as well and not just worry about the business, 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 money, 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 business, business. You got to enjoy it and you got to be an artist, but then you got to deal with everything else. So it's a balance. Right. And is there is there anything over your career that maybe you turned down or that you wish that you hadn't or something that you could have done that you that you just didn't pursue? Not really. I think the only thing that I still think I should have maybe looked a little harder into was when Damon Damon Dash offered me like a position to be like the head of videos or whatever at Rockefeller. But at that time, I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that because it was not enough money. Like I wasn't making enough money working with them. Yeah. That I I could I didn't jump on that. Right. I just wasn't making enough money to even pursue it. Right. But if it was a if if he would have came at it a little different or made a real offer, I think I would have did it. But I didn't push for it. A little later on down the line, maybe yeah. when yeah, it was just flowing a little bit. Yeah. But they yeah. Were, at that point, it was like I couldn't afford to work just for you. Yeah. Right. So I had to decline that. Yeah. So dream scenario or in in film, I'm I'm guessing by speaking with you now, directing is your favorite part of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. What is something, I guess, like a dream movie for you to direct, direct a dream script or maybe studio to work with, actors to work with? Well, that's too many questions at once, but <laughs> that's too many scenarios. But I think if I was going to do a dream script, I'd do the script that I wrote that I want to shoot, which is called Love and Lola. Love and Lola is a, is a dramatic love story kind of built around a crime story. Uh, built around a corrupt cop story in New York. So if if I was to just do one more movie, I would want to do that. Movie. That sounds amazing, by the way. I like to see that. Yeah. So yes. That definitely. one. I don't know who would be in it. It would because the characters are young. So I mean, I've been writing. I wrote that script. I want to say a good ten years ago, and then I would pitch it, and then it would sit around, and I change the title, and then I would change some of the elements in it. So every year I go through it and change the technology that's in the movie. And the movie has nothing to do with stuff like Twitter or anything like that, but you still got to add some of that elements into it. So if if I if, if someone said, what would you do now? What's your dream project? That would be it. Mm-hmm. I would say, because right now, if I don't do it, someone else is going to put something out like that at some point. Is there, is there a dream? Is there an actor or actress that you... Uh, Maybe not in that particular film, but somebody you see would be like, I would love to work with them one day. I mean, that's no, not really. I mean, I can't, I can't even think. <laughs> that's of hilarious. As too, I mean, it's too many. It's like, yeah. of course, if my mind would go blank, just give you, you somebody you, good. You ask. Yeah. But, I mean, that little girl who was in um, Little was was really funny. To well, me. Like Marseille, yeah. Marseille Martin. She's just funny to me. From I, blackish I, for everybody yeah. too. Like I can't even say I want to work with her, but I just thought she was She hilarious. is. Very, she has a bright future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a really bright future. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little too many. I, I'd love to see like Zoe Kravitz get her 
thing going. Like I had her at one point to be the lead in the movie, but you know, like I said, people get older as a screen as you're waiting. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's just a lot of people who you just you kind of root for. Right. Um, obviously, there's the the kingpins like the you know Denzels and all that. So right, I can already say hey, I worked with them already. So. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little too many to even think about that. So talk to us about uh, Blue Music Productions. You you got your own thing going oh, on. Okay, yeah, Blue Music Productions. Um, the history behind that is years ago, like the '90s, when Brand New Heavies and Sade had came out. I had a, a band called Blue. Okay. And uh, just just the production side of it, um, I would call everything for copyright Blue Music Productions. So that was like in the 90s or, or 1990 or 92 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we recorded, didn't go anywhere. And, you know, that was when you had to really be a really good R&B singer. And we were not really that great. I didn't sing. I just played bass and keyboards. Um, so I but I kept the name Blue Music Productions. So all those Jay-Z videos and was Blue Music Productions and another com- another production company. So my company would get the job. And then another company would have the insurance and the the uh, vendor stuff. So I I just kept that name for years, and some people ran for jobs through it. Um, and then just over the past few years, I, I decided to do start getting back into music because I did it years ago. But then when GarageBand came out, it made it really accessible for you to record digitally at home. So through like me kicking and screaming because I didn't even want to do it but the girlfriend I was with at the time bought me a little keyboard and was like oh you should use this we plug it into your computer and see if you can do it so I diddled around with it for years didn't do anything with it until one day I heard this one song by this artist Kesha 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 Mm -hmm. and it was like the number one number one video the number one song and I was like, that shit sucks. No, oh, How is that shit number one? I was yeah. like, and I was like, I'm going to do a fake song and I'm going to get one of my actress friends to uh, just do a video. Mm-hmm. And so I did this one track. It was kind of like a reggae track. And I played it for a musician friend of mine who hates everything. And I played it for him and he said, oh, this is pretty cool. I was like, oh shit, he said it's pretty cool. I guess it must be cool because he mm-hmm. hates everything. So I was like, all right, forget the fake uh, fake video with a fake song. I'm gonna try to do a real a real band. Mm-hmm. So I met this uh, girl from New York who just moved out from Brooklyn to to LA, and she was like, we just had a casual conversation. I was like, yeah, I do this, that, and like, oh, I'm doing music, and she's like, oh, I'm trying to sing. Like, oh, let's collaborate. Mm-hmm. So we formed this uh, band called Boss, and we were just gonna do one one song. So. That's how I formed the band Boss with Natalie. Her name is Natalie, but her her stage name is Natalie, and she just was this really good writer and this good singer and like real soulful. And I was like, I wanted to do like the the new age Sade, but a little you know a little upbeat, a little bit reggae thrown in there. So we did a, our first EP, collaborated with a, a guitarist name is Mike Mike P. We call him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole idea was just to do really cool music because I like cool music. Mm-hmm. So the vibe was just, I always just say Sade is like the bass line of the music and then I just add my own flavor to it. Right. So it all has a real feel to it. I play bass, I play, uh, I program the drums, I play a little keyboard. And these days I play a little guitar, but I couldn't play guitar back then. 
and you know that's that's like my little dream project nice um so you do a lot of kind of like um licensing and um for film and things like that yeah the goal was to license because we don't play live because i didn't have enough time to put together a band and and deal i tried to do it and everyone sort of was flaky and they show up late and i was like you know what mm -hmm. i'm trying to do this mm -hmm. i can't do that full time so i would do all the music i would produce all the tracks and we record separate we record one person at a time come to my crib record 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 and then we would put the music out and we licensed to to a couple of one movie actually called the the loft we got one of our tracks in there and that was a good feeling to have your you, you know see your song in your, the movie yeah your first right. you know your first ep we didn't even do an album just had an right. EP. and uh, so that's just really been my baby trying to keep it alive um you know we have we did another album came out a year about a year ago um and then I just did a remix of one of our tracks. I'm gonna release that in a couple of weeks. Okay. So I'm gonna try to see if I can re-edit the old video. And we also did videos too, like out of pocket videos, but they look pretty good. And you know, it's on the website if people want to check it out. It's bossmusicny.com. It's bossmusicny.com. And um, you know, it's just cool, non-threatening music, but it sounds good to yeah. the ears. And yeah. that's the most important thing. If people like it, cool. If they don't, I'm cool with it. So whatever <laughs> i love it man you really are you you might not want to hear it but you really are the renaissance man you playing instruments you know film aficionado <laughs> you know all of that type of stuff is there any affiliations or um kind of like groups I, I heard you mention the directors guild yeah i'm heavily in uh the directors guild of america they, they have different headquarters but the main headquarters is here in la um i'm part of the african-american steering committee which you know, I'm also a member, a director member, but if you self-identify with whatever you identify with, you can join the committee and be a part of, of a community. So as soon as I joined uh, the guild, I joined that committee and met so many people. Most of my friends in LA are all in the guild. And uh, that is pretty much how I met um, so many different prominent directors, even the ones that aren't in that particular committee, but I still met him. You know, I got to meet Michael Mann. He did Heat. I got to meet um, Steven Spielberg. I got to meet John Favreau. You know, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, I met uh, Terrence Malick um, in the elevator. I knew who he was, but I wanted, I, didn't, I just wanted to introduce himself. You know, he was what movie? What movie did he direct for the audience? Oh, man, what did he do? I can't remember only because you asked me, but look up Terrence <laughs> He's a big deal. Um, who else? Uh, it's just so many, you know, it's like a director being a fan of directors is is weird in a way because, you know, that you see them as human beings in the building, but in, in the back of your head, you're like, oh, he, that guy did Grease. Like, I met the guy who did Grease, right. and he was downplaying it, like, oh, I did this movie so long ago called Grease. Yes. I was like, yeah, but when I was a kid, I loved Grease. Everybody, yeah, um, everybody knows what Grease is. Right. So, you know, I'm still a fan of the art. I'm still a fan of the director. So that's why I was very happy to become a Directors Guild member and uh, really be in that community. Because if I wasn't in the Directors Guild, I probably would have moved out of L.A. because L.A. is a weird town. But uh, that really kept me grounded and having a place to, like, really just kick mm -hmm. it, talk shop, talk business, talk politics of the business and um, really try to move forward with the help of the guild if possible. Nice, that's that's amazing. That's something that we're gonna discuss more 
in, in terms of me getting into you mentioned that to me. You mentioned the Writers Guild to me at um when I met you the other oh, day. Oh yeah, and I'm also time. yeah, I'm also part of the committee of black writers, the C B W, which is a writers guild uh committee. Uh, you know, I happen to be black, so I'm gonna join the black day. <laughs> um, and that committee is, is like I don't I go to all the meetings, but I don't even though I'm in the Writers Guild, I don't really call myself a writer because I'm not sitting at home writing all right. the time. See, but, that's what I do all day. Yeah, so they have people who just the only thing they do is write, write, write. Mm-hmm. And um, our co-chair is Michelle Amore. And Lena Waithe is our co-chair, but she's never there because she's just blowing up everywhere. Yeah, she's too busy. <laughs> she, just, uh, she just hosted Jimmy Kimmel. So yeah, I'm like, did. okay, yeah. you have officially blown the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, she's wrong. She's wrong. But uh, yeah, that's another community that keeps you grounded and keeps you informed. So, you know, I try to stay within in at least those two groups of just getting the knowledge and at least getting the energy from other other writers and other filmmakers just to keep you going. Um, you know, on the flip side, everyone's hustling for work, too. So, right. you know, not everyone's saying, hey, okay, here's a job for you. But, right. Because I, I already know directors don't give directors jobs. That's usually never going to happen. Right. But... Writers, if there's a writer room, sometimes they might bring in another writer. But it's still, it's still like this is could be a whole nother conversation because there's still a whole lot of politics and bullshit. Yeah, going always in any industry. What what advice would you give for new creatives trying to break into the industry? Um, what advice? Uh, I would see right now. It's like you're expected to do everything. So my first piece of advice is to do something good. That's the key. If you try to do everything and you're just mediocre with everything, you're just gonna have mediocre projects. And now that doesn't mean people aren't get put on though, because there's a whole lot of garbage out there and people mm-hmm. getting put on. But try to focus on what you want to do, mm-hmm. like what your career goal is, and stick with that one thing. Learn everything else if you can, but if you're gonna be a DP, then be a real one, you know? Right. Don't be the, I call it the um, DWC, the dude with a camera. Don't be that dude because if you get a real job, you're going to get fired because there's like there's like some real people who've been doing this for a while. Right. And they, they're going to come, if you don't know what the lights are, you know, you got to learn so much. Right. If you're gonna be a DP, yeah, the technical the technical jobs are still very technical. Yeah, and there's there's formulas, there's science to it. It's not just shooting. You know, if you're just gonna be the dude with a camera or an iPhone, that's cool too. But depending on what you want to do, you should really study. So if you're gonna be a director, study directing, study directors, study movies, TV shows. I, I got a book in my bag right now that I'm reading. Right, know? never stop learning. And um, and if you're an actor, the same thing. Take classes. If you're a director, take acting classes. Which I, you know, I'm actually teaching an acting class, but I'm teaching it as a director, not as an actor. Um, but you know, study and and keep auditioning. I'm sure people hear the same thing. Oh, just keep doing it. You'll get, you know, and also realize if think, are you good though? You know, like (laughs) do a reality check, make sure you're actually good at what you do. Right. Figure out what you're going to do, figure out the steps that you can use to get to where you want to go and then go on that journey. I don't know if there's any real shortcuts. I know that social media is making things more accessible for people to see your stuff, but 
you also want to make money at it and and get hired outside of your little bubble right if you're just stuck in your own bubble i don't know is it paying if it's paying the bills then i guess stay there do the work basically that's what i always hear do, do the, the work, work do yeah. your research put your head down is there anything you want to leave the viewers and uh listeners with as we as we move on um i say take charge of your uh, of your future while while you can i mean when i say that i don't mean you know anything spiritually or anything i just mean like if you want to direct go ahead and direct something that you want to showcase that people would want to watch to hire you so if you want to do drama why don't you do a drama piece if you want to do comedy do a comedy piece but make sure you do it very well um for example i wanted to get into tv so i started doing a lot of shorts and uh doing short films is expensive as hell if you want to make it look good but the bottom line is i want to do it i want to get into tv full time so i want to make sure i have material that fits the vibe of the show that i want to direct or at least looks good enough to say oh okay he can do that so i'm sure you can do that so that's that's the basic uh, information i would share is just go ahead take control of your uh, destiny and then you really know if you're good or not. Most definitely. And I want to thank you for coming out to the to the show, man. Like it mean a lot to me when people kind of like reaching out as I'm getting out here and I'm mixing it up and I'm I'm building mm -hmm. for people to come out and share these gems, you know, with everybody. Cause you know, people enjoy it. I've been getting a lot of great feedback about the show and, and the guests we bringing on. So, you know, I respect you a lot. You did a lot of legendary stuff, like I said before, you're a legend in my eyes. So oh, thank you. I appreciate you, man. Much success to you in the future. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me and thanks for listening in. And if you want to check me out, check me out at uh, abdulmalikabbott.com. That's A-B-D-U-L-M-A-L-I-K-A-B-B-O-T-T.com. And I'm on social media at DJ Abby Ab. That's A-B-B-Y-A-B with a DJ in front of it. And as always, everybody, the Patreon, the Cash App, the uh, every the PayPal, everything is going to be in the bottom for everybody always asking me how can they support. Got the T-shirts on the website and everything. And I appreciate y'all for listening. We out. Peace.